0: Hello and welcome to another episode on the New Books Network. I'm one of your hosts, Dr. Miranda Melcher, and I'm really excited for this interview um, about a book titled The Sounds of Spectators at Football, published in 2023. It's just out from Bloomsbury. Um, And this book really goes into a lot of depth about something that I think a lot of people, either in depth or just kind of randomly through seeing TVs on in the background, actually have quite a lot of experience with, but maybe have never thought about, which is the sounds at a football, or to my American listeners, soccer matches. And not just understanding what these sounds actually are, turns out it's really interesting and there's lots of variation, um, but also how these sounds contribute to the overall experience of what a football match is for people watching, um, whether they're in the stadium or on television and kind of actually investigating this thing that um i certainly had never thought about despite encountering myself so i found this a really interesting analysis and book um, and so Nikolai, i'm really happy to welcome you to the podcast to tell us all about it
1: thank you very much i'm very excited as well of course <laughs> thank you for the interest and kind introduction
0: <laughs> no worries. Um, before we do get into all of the details of the book, I was wondering if maybe you could introduce yourself a little bit and explain why you decided to write this book.
1: Yes. Uh, yeah. Well, my name is Nikolai Jensgaard here, and uh, I'm a, a Danish uh, scholar from uh, the University of Aalborg University, situated in northern Jutland in Denmark, uh, and I have. Uh, yeah, I've studied musicology originally, and, and then I studied uh, psychology as a minor subject afterwards. And um, uh, while the musicology studies were, of course, very interesting and useful, uh, they the psychology studies opened my eyes and ears to uh, forms of sound and music that I did not uh, pay much attention to in my musicology studies, to be to be honest, because I studied mostly um musical pieces or artworks that you can listen to with your eyes closed so to speak Uh, but the psychology studies uh open my ears to all all the sounds and music in our everyday life that surrounds us uh, that we may not pay much attention to but nevertheless has a great impact on on how we yeah, see the world to to say it uh, big in a big way, so to speak. Uh, so so that's uh, kind of uh, the background you could say my academic background for in for paying interest to to um, phenomena like like this one encountered in, in this book. Um, and more specifically, I would say that uh, that I grew up watching uh, football from England uh, on TV as long back as i remember as a little kid Uh, the fact is that since 1969 uh, the danish broadcasting corporation uh, as a public service um, provider in denmark equivalent to the bbc i guess uh, provided us with uh, uh, live football every saturday from england uh, only from england so so i I grew uh, so, sort of into an interest to to English football and and have listened to numerous matches over the years uh, as a kid and then uh, as a scholar uh, I sort of uh, began to think about those uh, you know uh, matches and the sounds of those matches because they were uh, very intriguing and nice to watch in in numerous ways also but uh, this the sound. Uh, of the matches then uh, came back to me as I studied <laughs> psychology and uh, were grown up, so to speak. Uh, and, uh, and then, um, yeah, I thought it uh, uh, in a way uh, natural to, to pay an interest to this uh, in, in a scholar, in a scholarly fashion. <clears throat> and also then I started to look into what has been written about this phenomena uh, beforehand. That's, that's, uh, uh, a good start i guess uh, on any uh, topic uh, and i found out that while there's a lot of uh, comments on the importance of the sounds at football there's actually very little scholarly insights into what are these sounds what are significance of the sounds how and where are they distributed and so on and so forth so in a way i thought there was a, a lacuna here uh, to 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 be a to be explored because, uh, I agree that the sounds, uh, are important, uh, and, uh, and, uh, yeah, have importance and importance and significance, but, but it, but we need to understand what's, what is the importance and how are they actually significant, these sounds. So, so that's kind of the background uh, for, for me to, uh, to pay an interest into this, this topic.
0: Yeah. Mm. Thank you for explaining that. I think it's really interesting to kind of see the different strands that bring people to um, a book like this. And um, certainly having read it, uh, it's not surprising to me that it was football matches and the sounds were something that you grew up with um, watching because of kind of how the amount of detail that you pay to the spectator experience um, really comes through. But in some ways that actually makes my next question uh, I'm even more curious about because at least when I picked this book up, one of my immediate questions was, "How in the hell are you looking at sounds of spectators in football? Even if you're just focusing on the English Premier League, H- how are you looking at all the matches? I mean, goodness, that's a lot of football. How do you possibly get your head around this concept and not end up with a book that's you know twelve thousand pages long?" Um, and so I, then in reading the book, I was like, of course, case studies. Well, that, that's an obvious sort of methodological um, way in. So can you tell us which case studies you did end up using in the book and how did you choose them?
1: Yes, you're right in, in that the phenomena is overwhelming in, in many respects. So so my strategy was simply to yeah pick pick a few cases and work out from there, so to speak. And uh, yeah, and then I sampled uh, a, a a small handful or a big handful uh, of cases uh, based on partly on convenience, I guess, because uh, as I grew up uh, watching soccer, or uh, football on TV, I I grew an interest or became a, a fan of Tottenham Hotspurs uh, for various reasons, uh, and I would say this is not a book on. The sounds of Tottenham Hotspurs, but the sounds of Tottenham Hotspurs uh, are, you know, the examples throughout, and the case uh, matches throughout. I guess uh, you could say that there's nothing in a way. and <laughs> Maybe I'm I'm uh, hurting some uh, Tottenham Hotspur fans now, but I I suppose there's nothing uh, really original uh, about the sounds produced by exactly Tottenham Hotspur spectators. So so I think the the case the cases are are pretty generic you could say uh, you know generalizable to to other cases at least in england so so i chose the cases uh, because uh, it was relatively convenient for me to get access to the to the matches in england and to the um, to the televised uh, uh, versions of the same matches. So, so specifically, I have three pairs of matches, you could say. Uh, three games that i watched a, in England. I was at the stadium myself. Uh, One, Tottenham Leicester in 2016. Then a, t- a game between Tottenham and Liverpool the year after. And in 2019, I, I observed a, a match between Tottenham and Chelsea. And all three matches were at the home stadium of Tottenham Hotspurs. And then I when I came home, I obtained a, a, a televised version of each of these three matches. So I could compare uh, the uh, the sounds from the actual stadium, which I observed and listened to uh, when I was there, and then compare the sounds to the, the televised um, version of the three matches. Uh, and, and these three pairs of matches were also uh, selected because, as it turns out, and Incidentally, I guess, uh, Tottenham Hotspurs played at three different stadiums in this period, which made it quite interesting to, you know, listen to the same supporters, not exactly the same uh, 40,000 supporters necessarily, but the same tunes and songs and, and chants and so on and so forth in three different settings. Because they, the first one, they played at the, the old White Hart Lane Stadium, which was were, were then rebuilt and during the rebuild of the new stadium which is, is situated uh, at the same location at the white Hart lane um stadium they played at wimpley stadium also in london but uh, some miles away and then they returned to the new stadium for the last of the three matches so so there's three three pairs of matches in three different stadium settings but uh, still the same home team, so that's quite a, a unique sample, I guess. When I when I look at the existing literature, this this is uh, yeah uh, quite uh, original. And it, uh, as I said, it it opens up for some uh, discussions about the uh, importance of the built environment. You could say. And then I added because of the pandemic, which uh, unfortunately, of course, you could say, uh, entered the picture uh, at some point during my. Uh, writing of the book um, it was of course unfortunate in the bigger picture but for me in a sense it was quite fortunate because it allowed me to include uh, a match also played at Tottenham Hotspur Stadium the new stadium uh, against Liverpool um, where there were no spectators in the stadium so I was not there. Obviously, I was not allowed <laughs> to come there. Uh, but I had uh, obtained, I could obtain a, a televised version of that match, and that that was quite interesting because, uh, as you probably know, um, they added the television production team's added uh, spectator sounds for for that match and many others at this at this point in time. So so all in all seven you could say seven uh, three pairs of matches and then a seventh one uh, inspired by the uh, pa- pandemic. Um, so that's that's what I did and why I did it.
0: Well, that answer has raised a whole bunch of different elements of the book that I think uh, I'm going to ask about in more detail. Um, So first off, uh, looking at these pairs uh, in particular, uh, you have developed, I found very helpfully, a typology of sound from the perspective of the spectators, Um, because I think one of the things that um, is clear, sort of no matter how you're watching a football match, is that there is a lot of sound and quite often it's kind of unintelligible. It's all blending together in some sort of way. And if you're watching a match for the very first time, there's a, it sounds like chaos. And so quite helpfully you systematize that chaos and explain actually what are the different components um, that are happening. So I'm wondering if you could introduce that typology of sound to us.
1: Yes. uh, There's a, an overall typology of the sound present in the stadium and in the televised broadcast. And then there's a more specific typology of the sounds of spectators when you zoom in on, on those. If you start with the overall typology, then uh, in the stadium setting, well, obviously there are the sounds of the spectators, but there's also the sounds of what I uh, coined performers, uh, those players on the field and the referee. Uh, most significantly Uh, so that's another group of sounds Uh, and then there's what i call organizer sounds that that in the stadium setting would be you know the announcement uh, system uh, the announcer and also music played before in between the two halves of the match and after the match that will also uh, qualify as as organizer music so so these are three you know, categories of or types of sounds, sounds that are present in the stadium environment. And These sounds are then televised uh, in certain ways, and maybe we could get back to what is specific about this televisation uh, or the televised product here. But but uh, in addition to those three categories, there are two other forms. Uh, one more important than the other, perhaps. But that's the commentators. Obviously, when you watch the match on a television, there, there's a commentary, usually two commentators, and then there are also some uh, sound signals or small musical signals to to indicate, for example, a goal scored in, a, in another another contemporary match. Uh, but these these are, are quite rare sounds. So the, the commentary are always the the predominant. Uh, Television sound, you could say. So, so there's uh, th- that's an overall typology of sound, and that's um, yeah, we could say m- more about that. But uh, but then, uh, as I said, uh, more specifically, uh, the uh, spectators um, can also be typologized. The, the sounds of spectators, uh, and and yeah, to put it uh, shortly, I. Uh, differentiate between uh, music, music sounds. uh, That's obviously when, when spectators are singing, uh, chanting, um, and, and apart from music, there are what I call object sounds, sounds produced by uh, objects uh, moving together. Uh, That could be a lot of things, but mostly uh, at football and from spectators, it's clapping. That's uh, the, uh, the yeah the, the prime example of optic sounds, and then there are vo- what I call just vocal sounds, as that is vocal sounds that are not music, uh, not singing, but talk, chatter, shout, shouting, uh, interjections, uh, uh, you know, ooh, or ah, or booing or whatever sounds that are not uh, you know musical in the sense they have no distinct uh, timbre or riff, rhythm or or anything like that. So that does three basic types of uh, spectator sounds. And then there are some intermediate forms. Uh, Sometimes spectators clap uh, with a distinct rhythmic figurations, and that is a sort of musical object sounds, I would say. And sometimes the shouting um, transforms into rhythmic shouting also, not just chaotic sounds like you mentioned before, but, but organized somehow in in rhythmic configuration, and that would qualify as musical vocal sounds so there are three main categories and two intermediate you know uh, categories if that makes sense <laughs> yeah. So.
0: yeah yeah it does and thinking about what you said earlier um it sounds like these categories are not specific to a particular team it's not these are the categories for spurs fans liverpool fans would have different categories yeah yeah okay uh, interesting yeah,
1: we- no, The uh, yeah, so the the categories here are uh, are the same across English supporters. Uh, I would argue um, regarding object sounds. Uh, there, there's a, an, import, an important an uh, important thing here because normally uh, and traditionally there there's been no acceptance also there's also regulations on, on behalf of the uh, authorities and the uh, stadiums you're not allowed to bring in drums for example trumpets or musical inter- instruments um so so the objects are the human bodies to a very large extent in at english football but in in other settings in denmark where i live in in germany in south america and other places there's a a an allowance and also a tradition for bringing in uh, objects of various various kinds to produce uh, sounds, not only musical objects but also other other things. Um, so, so I would say that uh, that that while Tottenham Hotspurs are generic uh, in the sense of representing, I would argue uh, English uh, supporters, they are not, uh, you know, generalizable to to uh, football spectators all over the world. And Mm -hmm. I read a little bit about that, but not much because I haven't uh, studied football spectators around the world. (laughs) Of course. (laughs)
0: Um, Well, so one aspect I wanted to ask about, uh, again, that you raised earlier is the idea that for the matches you looked at, um, Spurs were the home side, but they were playing in three different physical locations. Um, And obviously... Every stadium is different. is different size, is different configuration, um, and these are obviously quite different from each other. So, what did you determine? Kind of, not just what are the sounds that are being made that you've you've helpfully explained the typology, um, but how can we think about the sounds being distributed in terms of kind of the location in the physical environment?
1: Yeah. Um... Yeah, as while while the three stadiums are all rather big stadiums, uh I guess you could say uh, there are there there were significant differences while because relatively uh, the the White Hart Lane is a relative small stadium uh including only <laughs> about uh, thirty-five thousand spectators. That's a lot of people, of course, but compared to Wembley, where there were more than eighty thousand people, it's a relatively small environment, and um, that uh, that implies that the sounds uh, are more, in a way, more intense. Also, at the White Hart Lane, Old White Hart Lane, the roof were hanging uh, quite close to the spectators, so so which means that, for example, the sounds are not dispersed so easily that they do not just vanish out in the open like they do uh, to a large extent uh, at Wembley Stadium uh, because the roof is so far away, far above, uh, and, and the environment is so massive, and there's so long distances between the spectators at one end and the other end. You can't really hear what's going on. And and I guess the impression you mentioned before... Uh, about sounds uh, producing a chaotic a modeled uh, soundscape That's that's characteristic of of a stadium like wimpley stadium i would say that's, that's at least what i observed so the built environment have uh, has a, a Quite a big importance about uh, in in the way you, you experience the sounds and what you can actually hear and the distinctiveness distinctiveness of what you hear also. Um, so the build, I would say, the building environment provides a sense of place. Uh, the way the sound s- sound, so to speak, provides a sense of uh, the place, uh, the sense of enclosure, the sense of intimacy, and so on and so forth. Uh, so that, that's kind of the the build env- the, the significance of the built environment. Uh, obviously, uh, this also uh, the you know the the importance of the built environment also has to do uh, with where are you situated within that particular built envi- environment, and that's also a locational, of course, issue. And um, and while the stadium as such give you a sense of place. Uh, the location of your point of audition, you could say, from where you're listening, offers you a sense of being placed uh, in that environment, and that that has uh, great importance to, of course, what you can hear and what you do do not hear. Uh, that that's in a way quite obvious, but uh, but but needs to be. Uh, analyzed and, and uh, taken seriously when when describing what are the the sounds in the stadium setting. Uh, mm-hmm. Just to give you shortly an example at the uh, Tottenham mm-hmm. Leicester match, I, I sat um, uh, very close to the uh, Leicester away fans, and all I could hear. Uh, were were the Leicester fans chanting and singing throughout the match massively uh, in the in the uh, relatively little White Lane stadium. So while it was a, a little, uh, relatively small or little environment, I could could actually not hear the Tottenham supporters because uh, the Leicester fans provided us a sound wall. You could say uh, that uh, you know refrained me from uh, getting access to the sounds uh, of Tottenham. Spectators, so uh, so the the experience in the stadium were highly uh, influenced by uh, the production of sounds by the away fans, and that's that's quite interesting because of course they are quite uh, massively outnumbered by spectators uh, ruining for Tottenham Hotspurs in the stadium setting but my particular point of addition uh, did, did not allow me to appreciate that but then I when I listened to the, the televised broadcast I could hear very little of into the Leicester away fans and mostly the uh, Tottenham fans transpired through the, the broadcast so that's mm. just a, a clear example uh, of the importance of, of not only uh, the place but of being placed in the place. Mm,
0: uh And I think similar to that, it's, as you said, sort of an obvious thing, but nevertheless, not always something we factor in when analyzing. Um, Can you speak to the timing of sounds in terms of the placement in the stadium?
1: Yes. I, I develop a, a sort of typology here again. I guess I, <laughs> I like for writing, providing some typologies here, but uh, but I think it's legitimate to to say that some of the sounds produced by spectres are, are relatively uh, uh, irrelevant, so to speak, in terms of uh, their uh, you know in terms of how they relate to match incidents. If we look at what's happening in the match some of the sounds are pretty much unrelated and I would call them loosely Um uh, They they emerge because Tottenham Hotspurs are playing a home match uh, and I provide the example of, oh, when the Spurs go marching in, that's a regular uh, tune, a signature tune, you could say, or a, a sound brand almost for the spectators of Tottenham Hotspurs. But that's, that's, that song... Uh, emerges uh, on, on numerous occasions throughout the match uh, pretty much unrelated to what is going on in the match if tonham are uh, leading the match or not leading or whatever is happening so so that's a quite a loose coupling here and then there are other other sounds provided by spectators which are very closely coupled with match incidents uh, for example um <clears throat> If a uh, free kick is uh, performed on, on one, one of the home team players, the, uh, the spectators rooting for Tottenham will, will of course, you know, uh, boo uh, and uh, 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 provide a lot of interjections. Uh, or if uh, a, a home team player uh, attempts to score a goal but misses by a small margin, the whole stadium or Tottenham uh, spectators, at least, will will you know provide some interjections to to um uh to accompany that that big chance uh, and so on and so forth. And these are examples of, of sounds that are very closely coupled with um with match incidents. Uh, and and uh, yeah, and actually, these sounds are, are mostly interjections, while the loosely coupled sounds are mostly songs and singing. Uh, and that that's, I think that's in a, in a numerous, in, 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 in more than one respect an interesting observation, because sometimes you hear uh, commentators say that, well, the atmosphere, the mood at the ground can be monitored by listening to how much singing is there and what, what are they singing and, and so on and so forth. But actually, I would say the interjections are really uh, part of an important part, perhaps even more important part of the atmosphere or the mood or the emotions or the engagements of spectators because they are really intimate here and now up in front uh, and follow closely uh, the, the match incidents. So so there's a... Yeah, if you, there's a a topology here also on, on whether the sounds are loosely coupled or closely coupled and again there's an intermediate topology here a category of moderately coupled uh, sounds as well that can be for example if harry uh, kane he scores yet another gold and then he is uh, uh, he is given a, a song by the uh, the spectators a few minutes later uh, you know, to a chant for him, for example. That that's not uh, very closely coupled. It's not loosely coupled. It is inspired by the scoring of the goal, uh, but but uh, arrives a few minutes uh, later. So so that's a moderate coupling. So yeah, mm. that's that's it. I
0: so the example of um when of, of the the songs um I think is really important because obviously a sort of famous characteristic of a lot of teams is, oh, they've got this particular song, and it is often sort of taken from, I guess, quote, a real song, um, sort of a pop song or something like that, and then um, might be changed. And it might be changed once, or it might be changed depending on whoever the star striker is, or it might not be changed at all and it just somehow becomes that team song, even though the lyrics don't seem to have anything to do with the team. Um, and thankfully, you help us understand and clarify uh, these multiple different ways that spectators engage with um songs in particular but sounds more generally um use the terms adoption and adaption in the book and i was wondering if you could sort of take us through these two terms and what you mean by them when analyzing what spectators are doing in this sort of thing
1: yeah uh yeah the concepts point at the general tendency for spectators to what you could say is a rearticulation of pre, pre-existing pieces of music they re-articulate pieces of music which also uh, already exist before uh, the match um and that that's pretty basic and normal uh very, very there are very few examples of spectators providing a new melody and new lyrics uh, examples exist, but they are very few. Uh, and I didn't uh, come up, uh, didn't encounter any in my uh, observations. So adoptions and adaptions are two forms of re-articulations. Adoption would be the one where spectators um, uh, re-articulate a, a, f- a piece of pre-existing music without significant modification of that music. Typically, uh, lyrically, the lyrics remain the same, so to speak. And an adaption would be uh, also a re-articulation of a pre-existing piece of music, but including a significant uh, modification. Typically, the lyrics are changed somehow. Again, the aforementioned, uh, oh, when the spurs go marching in, uh, is, is a, a simple example, a good example of an adaption, because it originates from the hymn "Oh, when the saints go marching in," and then saints are substituted with Spurs, and then it's 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 adapted for Spurs spectators or for and by Spurs spectators. Um, and adaptations are more prevalent than adoptions adoptions are pretty rare actually a, a famous example would be you you'll never walk alone song by Liverpool spectators Liverpool supporters which um, is uh, rearticulated in a way that the lyrics as far as I can assess remain the same as the original song um, but that's there are, there are few examples of that but not that many adaptions are the uh, the normal. Uh, so to speak a form of uh, re-articulation at english football and and adaptions are also an uh, a phenomena a process whereby spectators can indicate you know their wit and humor and irony and so on and so forth because they make up uh, may make, make up uh, uh, funny or witty or ironic um uh lyrics for an existing melody so the melody actually the the existing melody is just a, a carrier uh and it's a convenient one because most people know this melody but then the lyrics are, are what are being you know um ad- adapted um for for a particular for a particular reason at a particular match or or so and so forth so so that's uh, the distinction between adoptions and adaptions
0: Thank you uh, for explaining that. I think uh, those are examples, I think, that are very easy to understand, that you'll never walk alone. It's like, okay, well, what 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 does that have to do with Liverpool? Don't know, but they've clearly made it their own. Um, yes. Yeah. So an interesting one to look at. Um, I sort of want to, I guess, ask the question we've almost been assuming. We've talked about... Um, how spectators make different sounds where they make sounds what the sounds actually are um but why are they making these sounds
1: yeah uh, good and big question i would say but um but i would i would yeah it comes to my mind that they do that because they can't help themselves, so to speak. That's one reason. Because when you're at a football match and you're engaged in the match and it's not just some sort of superficial show you're watching, but you're really rooting for one of the teams, you're engaged and excited. And uh, uh, and then you, you can't help yourself. You you grunt and interject and whatever at, at the match incidents. And and also the, uh, the football environment provides... Uh, a sort of controlled environment where, where a sort of uh, quote, you know, uncontrolled display of emotions are, are the norm or okay. Uh, so, so that has to do also with traditions. Uh, that at football, there's a t- tradition of producing sounds. Uh, and actually, if, if you don't produce sounds and sit still, and watch the, the match, that, that's pretty uh, unnormal or peculiar. So that there's also a norm not just a tradition but also a norm of producing sounds that has become at least a norm it wasn't always like that historically but that's another another matter but in recent years that's that's a norm uh, and, and and a third thing that comes to mind is that well actually at football uh, you can make yourself heard actually it sounds maybe a bit strange but but compared to other sports like say, um, basketball in an American setting, or handballed in a European setting, or motor car racing or whatever, uh, you can, of course, make yourself hurt or try to do so. But in these environments, you're competing with organizer sounds, uh, as we talked about earlier. Uh, I mean, they play loud music. The organizers play loud music at handball and at basketball. So the spectators have to compete, so to say, with the sounds produced by the organizers. And at motorsport, uh, that would be an example where performer sounds, as the sounds of the performer, you know, the race car driver uh, putting his foot down, providing a lot of noise, makes it almost impossible for spectators to, to hear themselves or, or at least any other than themselves. So you can make yourself heard. And that's... Uh, that's also a reason why it makes sense to open your mouth, uh, really, and um, uh, make yourself heard, of course. And then, then I would say there are more specific uh, functions I would call them um, as to to why spectators uh, perf- performs, you could say, or uh, make themselves heard uh, has and that's that's numerous functions here, but but two of the most important I find is that uh, one has to do with identity formation, that you not only make yourself hurt, but you make distinctions uh, about us and them. It's a pretty pretty simple social psychological distinction here, but nevertheless very important that uh, I belong to us and we are this and this way and we do not belong to those or them or and, and they are that, in that way, uh, very simply speaking. And there are numerous variations of how to taunt them, the others, how to praise oneself, and humor and irony can enter the picture here as well. Um, so, so, but but it all has to do, I guess, with some sort of identity formation issues. Another uh, major reason why you produce sounds is uh, has has very has very little if anything to do with what is being sung as that is the lyrics of the song but has to do with the fact that you are keeping together in time so to speak or provide a a sort of physical muscular bonding um you are you know common in uh, the physical presence in the immediacy uh, of producing sounds uh it's a collective endeavor um and and that's uh, very pleasing uh, uh various studies point to that that's it's a, that's a human uh as part of human nature i guess you could say uh, to feel aroused uh, pleased with uh, keeping together in time clapping in te- in in rhythm in a rhythmic configuration or singing or shouting together uh you you sort of lose uh the yeah you sort of lose yourself to put it uh, a bit uh, simply you you lose yourself in the group you become something becomes a small part of something much bigger uh and you forget yourself also uh and it's uh unmediated it's a physical presence so, so these uh, these effects and experiences uh, are are highly valued apparently, uh, and perhaps also that has to be seen on the backdrop of our highly mediatized uh, society in general. I mean, uh, we we look at at screens uh, uh, all the time nowadays. To to put it simply, right? So, so that's that's. Um, Yeah, the setting of the stadium, uh, producing sounds with others in a rhythmic configuration uh, is not something that you can easily do in other settings. And as it is a pleasing, arousing experience, that's, uh, I think, a very important uh, answer to the question of why do do specters produce sounds in in the stadium setting? Yeah.
0: Thank you for going through um, those reasons. I think it's a really good example of... Kind of putting names to things that we might sort of intuitively think of, um, but of course, if we don't have names for them, then we're not analyzing them very effectively. So it's helpful to kind of hear you explain them um, like that. But I obviously now want to turn to that idea that you've just raised, the kind of we look at screens all the time. Everything's very mediatized Um, because you've already, in fact, given us an example from one of your pairings um, that when you went to the match against Leicester, uh, you mostly were hearing the away fans. But when you watched it back on television, in fact, you could then hear the Spurs fans. So... Obviously, the experience and the sounds of football matches is quite different for spectators physically there versus watching on TV. Um, But maybe you could tell us some of kind of the top differences that you notice between the two and explain sort of why you think those things are so different
1: yeah uh, yeah in, in the televised broadcast of the match there's uh, certainly not as much a sense of place and a sense of being placed as we talked about earlier uh, and that's uh, yeah uh, technically uh, the the result of uh, the television production teams using multiple, Simultaneously operating microphones, so there's a, there's numerous microphones around the stadium, and uh, and they are operating simultaneously uh, and capture you know sounds from from all over the stadium and blend them together in in one uh, soundscape offered for the t- television audience. So. So uh, aspects of location are, are lost, so to speak. You can't hear from where the sounds are originating, apart from the general fact that they originate from the stadium environment. So so that's, of course, a very big difference. And it also points to the fact that that the televised sounds are, of course, not real. Um, maybe that's a basic and simple insight, but, but sometimes you can get the impression that that uh, the sounds are providing a clear sense of the atmosphere at the ground. And that's not quite wrong to say that, but it's not quite right either, because uh, the sounds are uh, a a highly produced uh, soundscape, which nobody in the stadium setting uh, hears that particular way. When you're in the stadium setting, obviously you you listen to the sounds from a particular point of audition. You are seated in, in a particular place, and and the sounds produced by the television audience are not available to anybody in the stadium setting. So, so in a sense, it's I would not say it's a fake soundscape, but it's not real. It might be realistic, <laughs> you know, gravitating to so to to something realistic, but but it's a highly isn't. Yeah, uh, produced, uh, of course, uh, soundscape. And um, yeah, what else is uh, that? Yeah, yeah, I would say in, in the book, I, 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 uh, I, uh, I liken the sounds to, from the perspective of the television audience, I liken the sounds of spectators to the laugh track uh, in sitcoms and stuff like that. At least it, it uh, comes off like an internal audience. Uh, that is the spectators in the stadium setting because they it's an audience that watches what is what's going on and it helps you as a television audience to or helps or guides you to uh, to react to what is happening uh, in the game Uh, it's it's uh, there's of course big differences between the laugh track and the spectators in the televised broadcast and i (laughs) Uh, write about these differences, but uh, at least to see the spectators in the televised box as, as a kind of internal audience, I think that that makes sense to some extent. And uh, and interestingly, they they function like what I coin an an uh, auditory seismometer. Um, perhaps a bad metaphor in these times uh, with uh, earthquakes uh, going on uh, elsewhere in the world, but. Uh with this, I mean that the, the, the sounds of spectators in the stadium setting provides the television audience with a quite clear understanding of what is going on. Is it important what is going on now or not? And if there's a goal scored, who, who is uh, the scorer of uh, the goal? Not, not the particular player, perhaps, but uh, is it the home team or the away team? You can hear that on the spectators and, and long before, usually this, the, the commentators will tell you. So, so the sounds provide a, a, a sort of informative uh, role, uh, to a much higher extent than they do in the stadium setting for, for the spectators, obviously. Yeah. Um...
0: Can you, can you tell us about that sort of mapping piece of it? Cause I, I found that really interesting and had never really thought about how, how does that work?
1: Oh, the mapping. Uh, yeah, as yeah, the sounds of spectators, as they are, you know, obtained from multiple uh, microphones around the the stadium, the the sounds of the home team crowd will predominate or be the predominant source of of sounds. So, if there's jubilation uh, in the televised broadcast, that means that something good has happened to the home team or something bad has happened to the away team, to put it simply. That's a code, a simple code, but an operational code, so you can actually follow along the match without looking at it, and you don't even need the commentators. You don't have to pay attention to to the commentators. You just sit and do something else and listen to the match, and you have a quite a clear and good understanding of what is going on, based on the quality of the sounds. And... Um, It's not so much about what is being sung, the lyrics of the song, because that's a major difference also. uh, Whereas you in the stadium setting are able to to hear the lyrics of of at least some songs, depending on where you're at. For example, I could hear the lyrics of all the Leicester away team fans uh, uh, singing. Uh, uh, This dimension of the singing and chanting are lost to the television audience, almost lost. Uh, sometimes uh, the the lyrics will transpire, but usually they they'll get muddled uh, because of the uh, the multiple uh, operating uh, microphones. So it's it's more the raw and the booing and the clapping and those sort of things, the optic sounds and vocal sounds that provides the the television audience with a with a quite I would say quite clear understanding of. Uh, what is what is going on? So you're able to listen to the match with your back to the uh, to the screen, uh, and you could call this a sort of standby <laughs> listening. You have a half ear to to the match, and uh, if anything interesting uh, happens, you can hear uh, the the, um, the the spectators beginning to to roar or, or whatever. So, and and this is of course the commentators also provide information, but. You don't have to listen to the lyrics to them. To, to, to them, you can pay attention to to something else. You can read a book. Actually, it's hard to read a book and pay attention to the lyrics of something of some sounds. So that would be a, an example of an a listening attitude that's quite functional. Uh, so which works because there's uh, there's this internal audience, so to speak, of the spectators in the match. Uh, whose sounds are so uh, simply coded and effectively coded that you can rely on them to a high degree. Yeah.
0: Thank you. I think the coding is um, really interesting because you're absolutely right, right? You can quite often sort of listen to the background and know what's happening because of um, exactly how this sound is being used, which makes it all the more interesting to think about your seventh case right when there was no spectators there was no sound um and so there was fake sound um what did you give in kind of how in so much detail that you understand these sounds and have the different typologies for understanding them um what do you think of these artificial sounds and what can we learn from them
1: well i think in a way that the sounds, the the artificial or added sounds actually highlights the fact that the spectators originally and always have been an internal audience from the perspective of the television production team and also from the perspective of the television audience. So apparently um, uh, most uh, television spectators or the television audience accepted to have uh, these added sounds included uh, although it was quite obvious that there were no spectators in the stadium setting, that that quite uh, quickly became a norm. At least uh, from the, from the matches I saw from the English Premier League, I think it's not it's not quite clear. Some some uh, uh, opposed this idea and and so on and so forth, but the majority of spectators, you know, sort of accepted it because um, if the sounds were not there, that would be even worse, (laughs) apparently. Uh, So so the sounds also have a a sort of masking function here, you could argue, because if the sounds were not there, the game would sound like a training match or training exercise, I guess. Uh, The spectators, the internal audience are highly important to uh, provide a sense of something important is going on here. And if the sounds are not there this importance uh, is lost to the television audience i don't i don't think you can say that the sounds are that important to the players that's of course debatable and discussable but from the matches i saw uh, the quality of the game was not significantly lower uh, my point is that the players they played like they used to uh, simply put uh, but the television audience didn't uh, like what they saw uh, they didn't perhaps uh, even more importantly did not like what they heard. So they needed these, uh, edits, added sounds. And that, that, that points to, I guess, uh, the fact that this is, uh, from the television production team and, an internal audience and also from, from the perspective of, of television viewers. Uh, yeah. And, um, but yeah, I think it's, it's the process by which the, the sounds were added was also, uh, quite interesting because the sounds were uh, added from uh, the computer video game FIFA. FIFA 19, I guess, was uh, what was uh, the, the the most recent uh, version of the game at that point. So, so the computer game provided the sounds which were added to the television, live television broadcast. And the p- computer game FIFA originally obtained the sounds from uh, various um, uh, observations and recordings at actual matches before they entered the computer game. So there's a circulation here of, of copies of copies of spectator sounds, um, which is, I think also highly uh, interesting um, in, in, uh, in various ways. And, and one of the two important things I would like to to stress shortly here, the one is that the 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 group of sounds provided by FIFA uh, is a group of sounds which are which are FIFA tized or sanitized or filtered, you could say, because they, they only include signature tunes for the uh, relevant uh, teams, uh, but but no no offensive interjections or Stuff like that are no chants, which which are are controversial. There are some controversial chants included also in the book. I mentioned some of them uh, by by Tottenham, Hotspur spectators. They they are filtered out, and so the soundscape provided for for the pandemic matches, if we call them that, uh, are, are sanitized and 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 filtered. So that's that's one interesting thing. Um, uh, and another interesting thing is the way the, the sounds were deployed during the match, because actually a, a sort of a DJ, I guess you, you would say, uh, a sound operator sat in the stadium setting or, or wherever uh, he or she sat, but she, the person would activate the sounds by pressing buttons at specific moments where the the given sounds were appropriate, so when a goal was scored, the bottom with cheering, <laughs> was it, and um, and so on and so forth, and that worked only so and so well, I would say, um, because the sound operator were not was not um, able to provide this kind of meticulousness as the spectators, as the as the internal audience of the spect- actual spectators at the ground were able to do. Uh, they would um, closely follow match incidents and there would be no delays in in their reactions. That's why a, a seismometer is, a, by any standard, a, a good metaphor or a picture about how they they operated. On the other hand, the sound operator would would often be delayed and we're talking about half a second or so. A goal is scored and then only half a, after half a second is the button pressed and the jubilation occurs or to give another example a home team player is knocked down or a free kick is you know performed on on him and usually the the home crowd will roar in disrespect and boo at the referee uh, to provide a yellow card or whatever and um, the sound operator will would occasionally, you know, miss uh, the button and uh, not provide that kind of uh, booing, or uh, provided uh, too late, so to speak, with a just a, a small margin of um, uh, of uh, of time lapse, but a time lapse enough to to make the uh, the sounds unrealistic and obviously fake uh, in the in the in the setting. So 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 the case actually. Also points back to the importance of the regular, you, you know, you could say normal uh, spectators in the stadium settings who are much more meticulous and and closely coupled with uh, match incidents. So that's just to... Two points I would like to to stress in this respect.
0: Yeah, no, very interesting um, points as well. And definitely, I think things that, uh, especially in the pandemic, when there were so many people watching football who maybe didn't usually watch football, but there wasn't much else to do. Um, I remember there being lots of very entertaining um, comments on social media about exactly those sort of gaps. Yeah, yeah, yeah kind of being missed or coming in a different place and um really I think made people more aware of the role of sound um in football as soon as it kind of became decoupled I suppose or unlinked in a way Yes,
1: yes yes exactly yeah
0: yeah which is really interesting um and of course in a lot of ways that kind of your book takes us really all the way up to the present right we still have every so often instances of matches being played without spectators um obviously fifa the video games the most up-to-date one that you've talked about um the chants and the songs and the sounds and the matches that you've discussed are very current um and of course the book has literally just come out so my last question might be a little strange okay Um, (laughs) Is there now that the book is done? Is there anything you're looking to work on next, or is it way too soon to ask?
1: No, no, no. That's uh, <laughs> that's uh, not f- way too soon. Uh, well, I have two two uh, more more than two interests, but but two two things relating to this. One, one thing is I would like to to look more or, or or hear more into the sounds of sports in in general. Uh, while writing the book, it became, of course, obvious throughout that uh, the sounds of spectators and the sounds of football in general uh, are unique, of course, original to the sport compared to, for example, tennis or golf or basketball or whatever. Uh, so, so that's one obvious uh, way to to develop some of the ideas here into yeah into looking at at the soundscapes of of other sports not not just the spectators but the sounds of the sports uh, like the boots on ball in football that's that's a uh that's a highly, yeah, almost like a sound mark for for the match. While the the ping of the golf ball would be uh, the equivalent, or or the tennis, uh, you know, the the hit with the racket to the tennis ball, and so on and so forth. I think there's a lot of interesting stuff to to look into there. And then another uh, another issue may be related, but not necessarily related, is the is, is the phenomenon of sound branding, which um working on, on a, a, a book on actually also in Danish first. And then I think I will try to develop that into an English book as well. And um, yeah, sound branding, I think uh, it's also a, a, an interesting an interesting topic. And I, I, I use the, the, um, the case of the car as an example. Uh, the sounds of the car changing uh, distinctively these years with the uh, electronic cars uh, you know emerging in great number and how uh, do they sound how should they sound how can they sound compared to um to other cars and so and so forth so yeah that's two uh, <laughs> two Ooh. things i'm working on yeah
0: okay well that's very interesting and um, best of luck with those projects thank you And while you are off exploring them, um, listeners can read the book we've mainly been discussing, which again is called The Sounds of Spectators at Football, um, just come out, published by Bloomsbury. Um, Nikolai, thank you so much for being with us on the podcast.
1: Thank you very much for having me. It was a pleasure.